I should pick a, a different song before I speak next time. That's a, a powerful song. A couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and I went down to New Jersey, had a very rare uh, occurrence where we actually went away overnight uh, without our kids, which was amazing. And we went down to New Jersey for a cousin's wedding. And one of the great privileges of that day, too, being down there in New Jersey, was that earlier in the day, that same weekend, on the other side of the family, they were celebrating her grandmother's 94th birthday. And so we were able to make it there, be there, be there for that. Just a great time. You saw, you know, she was there, her children, her grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all together celebrating her life. And the time came for the birthday cake to be served. And they brought it out. Everybody sang happy birthday to her. And now, so he said, before she could blow out the candle, I said, wait, wait, you got to make a wish. And so she sat there and she said, I wish to go home before my 95th. You guys probably had a very similar reaction to what I had. Like, wow. Well, that was not the reaction that happened in the room that day. Angie's family all burst into cheering and applause when she said that. And I was like, what just happened? Why is everybody cheering and applauding that she said she wants to go home before 95th? And uh, one of Angie's cousins actually said, did, did we just cheer death? I mean, well, what exactly just happened there? And believe it or not, her eldest son said, if you say it out loud, it won't come true. <laughs> so you're probably thinking that's a pretty harsh family, but believe me, they are a very loving family. They just like you know, a little humor, I guess, a little dark humor, but... What struck me, though, as I thought about that, her statement, I want to go home before my 95th, is that here is an individual who is spending every day of her life thinking about the end. And it made me kind of reflect and say, how often do I think about the end? And I'll pose that question to you tonight. How often do you think about the end? And for tonight's uh, the moments we're together tonight, what I'd like us to consider is specifically the end of all things, when Jesus returns. And here's what I'd like to uh, propose to you. And even as you wrestle with that, you know, does, that ever, does that even ever come to mind? Is it an afterthought? Does the thought of Jesus' return even cause you maybe some fear, some anxiety? Well, here's what I'd like to propose. The truth, the reality of Jesus' return should be impacting how you live right now every day of your life. And that's what I want to flesh out tonight as we all study God's word together. And to do that, we're going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles there, if you could turn there with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. It's on page, it's page 1019 in the Pew Bible. Let's hear God's word here. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, 
and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So again, this truth, the reality of Jesus' return, should be impacting how you live your life, how I live my life, every day, right now, should be impacting us. And so I want to set this out. I want to look at it really through three main, under three main headings. One, the day is coming. Second, waiting for the day. And third, hastening the day. First, we need to establish the fact that the end is coming. And that is what Peter is trying to do here right at the outset. He is, outside of this chapter, he is stirring them up, stirring up their minds by way of reminder. And he is reminding them to remember. Don't forget what was prophesied? What, was he, what is he speaking of? He is speaking of the coming of the day of the Lord, the coming of judgment. A week ago, I was talking to an individual, and they mentioned somehow they started talking about they like to think about God punishing evil. And I started to say, well, the Bible does teach that there is a day of judgment coming. And there was a very visible, physical reaction from this individual. Their eyes closed, their hands went up in the air, they started shaking their head, and they actually shivered. They went like that. For many, this is not something that they want to think about, that there is coming a day of judgment. But Peter here is reminding them. He's stirring up their mind by way of reminder, saying, don't forget, remember everything that has been spoken by the prophets, that has been taught by Jesus and the apostles. This day is coming. There are many examples that we could look at in the Bible. I'm going to look at two briefly here uh, for us today. Peter's reminding them to remember what Isaiah said. Isaiah in chapter 13 said, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. 
For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Peter is stirring up by way of reminder what Zephaniah prophesied. He said, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind. Their silver nor their gold shall be able to to deliver them on that day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth will be consumed. For a full and a sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Peter is reminding them that this day, this dark and dreadful day, the day of God's fierce anger is coming. And he's saying it is a sure thing. And he said there will be scoffers. There will be scoffers who say, where is the promise of his coming? And what these scoffers don't realize is that their scoffing is actually a sign that the end is coming. That's what we see here in the text when they're saying, where is the promise of his coming? It is prophesied. These scoffers will be there scoffing on that day. And what they're not realizing, when they say all things are continuing as they were since the beginning of the creation, you're saying, well, that's not true. The word of God that formed the earth out of water and through water, through water, destroyed the earth then by water in the flood. So the world that then existed perished. And the heavens and the earth that exist right now by that same unfailing word are being stored up for fire, for judgment, and for destruction. So this day, this dark and dreadful day of God's fierce anger is coming. People may scoff at it, but it is a sure thing. It is a certainty this day will come. And he says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I read an article this week. This was for ABC News. It was ran actually last year, 2018, in Belgium. Robbers came in to a store around 3 p.m. and attempted to rob the store. And the individual who was operating the cash register told the thieves, come back at 6.30. At that time, the cash register is way more full. They did it. They left (laughs) and came back at 6.30. And, of course, police were waiting on them and arrested them and took them away. The day of the Lord will not be like that. Okay? Just to be clear, 1 Thessalonians 5 says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Just as we read in Matthew 24, in the days of the flood of Noah, they were unaware and the flood came and swept them away. And as you see in verse 10 here in this chapter in 2 Peter 3, we see that the heavens will pass away with a roar The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There will be no hiding on that day. There will be no escape. There will be no second chances. No mercy to be found on that day for the ungodly. A dark day. An awful day. The coming day of the Lord. And then Peter says this. In verse 11, he says, Since things will be dissolved this way, 
What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Peter tells us that we should be waiting for and hastening the coming of this dreadful day. So I'm just going to ask the question tonight, why? Well, simply why? Why would we want that day to come? And secondly, one thing for us to consider too is how do you wait and hasten? We're going to deal with both of those tonight. So again, we see the certainty of this coming. The day is coming, this coming of judgment. Now, let's unpack this. Waiting for the day. This, the word in Greek, prostakaho, that is translated here, waiting for, can mean to watch. The New American Standard, New King James, translates that word as to look for, to anticipate, is another way you can translate it, to be in expect, ex, expectation, to tarry. So we see all these things together. Again, this waiting for, this looking for, in, and I'll describe it this way, an eager expectation for this day to come. This is a day we should be looking for, eagerly expecting. So why? Why should we be eagerly looking for this day of judgment, this dark and dreadful day? I'm going to give you two things to consider tonight. Number one, we live in a world that is filled with evil and suffering. Not sure how many of you read this this past week. In Nigeria, they found 400 young boys, young teenage men, and some older men as well, who had been chained up, tortured, sexually assaulted for a significant period of time. Horrible, horrible evil that has been going on over there. Thankfully, it was discovered, and uh, those who were doing it were uh, held accountable for it. But we see all around us, that's one example. There are mass shootings. There is gang warfare. read the, an article yesterday that a nine-year-old boy was executed in Chicago by by the gangs there. Sex trafficking that goes on in the world around us. We see all this evil, and so yes, we should long for the day when God will bring an end to evil, when God will avenge the wrongdoing, when he will execute justice. I was in Indiana a few weeks ago for work and had a business dinner. Dinner was concluded actually kind of early, it was around 8 p.m., and I was had nothing else going on for the rest of the night. And I saw two Jehovah's Witnesses standing on the corner with their display, and they looked a little lonely. So I thought I'd uh, go talk to them a little bit. And I, they were describing to me, you know, the, and I, really I was just asking questions, trying to understand what they believe a little bit more. And they were describing to me this, this kingdom on earth and how wonderful it will be when evil is gone. I, I agreed, absolutely, I agree with that. And I asked them a question. I said, okay, well, yeah, there is a lot of, you're right, there is a lot of evil right now and going on in the world. What will happen to all those people committing all those great evils? I'm not sure how familiar you are with the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses, but they believe in annihilationism, that when they die, that's it. There's no accounting, there's no reckoning. When Jesus comes back, if you've seen the Avengers movies, it's kind of like that peaceful disintegration that will take place for the wicked. Well, does that satisfy our heart's cry for justice when we look at the evil that goes on in the world around us? I don't think so, and the Bible does teach otherwise. In Thessalonians, Paul says that in flaming fire, God will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And in Revelation, it says the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. So we should be looking for this day, eager expectation of this day when the judge will come and will execute justice and will vanquish all evil. Secondly, though, we should look forward with eager expectation for this day because for the believer, it is a day of salvation. In First Thessalonians, again, it says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So be sure, on that day, that day of judgment, there will be only one place of safety. There will be only one place of refuge on that day, and that will be in Jesus Christ. Your good works won't save you on that day. Your social status, your money, your family, none of that will protect you on that day. Your church membership won't save you on that day. Buddha won't save you. Muhammad won't save you. There will be only one place of salvation, and that will be in Jesus Christ. And so we can look eagerly, with eager expectation for this day, because it is a day of salvation for us. That day will not overtake us like a thief. We are children of the day, children of light. So it won't take, overtake us like the children of darkness. It will be a day of deliverance for us, where we will go to be with Jesus according to his promise in the new heavens, the new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. In that place where there is no sorrow, no pain, no death, no loss, no goodbyes, no tears. That is why we can look for that day, wait for that day with eager expectation, because it is a great day of salvation for the believer. So, waiting for the day, eager expectation, justice served, salvation for God's people. But, when we think of this waiting for the day, we also need to realize that this will take patience. And why? Well, what we just read in Matthew 24 says, no one knows the day or the hour when Jesus will return. Since we do not know when Jesus is coming, we know he's coming, that day is sure, but we don't know when, we must be patient as we wait for his return. Wikipedia is such a reliable source that I had to, I'll share some facts with you from Wikipedia. I went through and they actually list out the predictions of Jesus' return throughout the centuries. And you would not, maybe you would believe, how many predictions have taken place as far back as the early centuries, you know, around 300 A.D., all the way through the centuries? And there are actually some for 2020, 2021, 2024, 2025, 2029, 2057. I guess one of these maybe has to be, I don't know. But either way, you see all these predictions, and what has happened over and over again, what has been evidence is that no one knows the day or the hour. It is a day that is only known to God. And so that's why Peter here also is saying, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. Be on guard against that. Some people twist the scriptures to their own destruction. But what you can be sure of is that uh, God is not uh, behind schedule. God is not slow concerning his promise, right? He is right on time. And that's another key piece here of our patience as we wait for the day. We don't know the day or hour he's coming. We know he's coming. But God doesn't operate on our timetable, so we shouldn't be having anything in our hearts that would say, why are you taking so long? Even though that can cry out, we can cry out in our hearts when we see the things that are going on in the world around us. But Peter here says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. He's not operating on our timetable, and like I said, he's not behind schedule. He's not slow concerning his promise. 
But also, we should understand as we're waiting for that day, that yes, it takes patience, but Peter also draws out something else here, saying God isn't slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, you may read that and say, wait a minute. Is that kind of going against other passages in Scripture that talk about election and predestination? When it says that God is not slow to fulfill his promise, he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance? How are we to understand that? Well, we understand it because the all there, the any, is controlled by the word you. When he says he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, he's talking to his audience here in this letter, which, according to chapter 1, is to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what we should understand here is that as we're waiting for, as we're patiently waiting for the return of Christ, that God is at the same time showing patience toward us. That God is not willing that any of his people should perish, but he is bringing all of his people to repentance. And so, as verse 15 says, we count the patience of our Lord as salvation. If he has not returned yet, then we can be sure that God is still saving souls, that he is bringing people into his kingdom. So that's why James instructs us to be patient until the coming of the Lord, waiting for the day, eager expectations, eager expectation and patience. God is right on schedule. He is still saving and bringing people into his kingdom. So as we think about eager expectation and patience, so this means since we don't know the day, it's what we're looking for, we have to be patient about it, let's go sit on our porch, get in our rocking chair, look to the east and just wait for the day to come. Is that what he's telling us to do here? Well, here's why that second piece is so important. We are waiting for, looking for the day with eager expectation, patiently waiting for his return, knowing that it's patience toward us as God brings in his children. But also he says we should be hastening the day, hastening the day of the coming of the day of the Lord. Now, when you hear that word, hear that word hasten, you probably think what I think. Hasten means hurry up, Right? We see that used in, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. Same exact word in the Greek used in Luke when it says the shepherds came with haste to see the child Jesus. Same word when it, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. It's that same word that's translated here, hasten. Hastening the coming of the day of God. So, this kind of begs some questions. Can we alter God's timeline in some way? Can we somehow make Jesus come sooner? Can we expedite his return a little bit? Is that what Peter is suggesting here? Well, we know from other texts in Acts that says that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And in Acts 1, he says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So that day is fixed. It is set. The day of judgment, the day of the Lord that is coming So what is meant here when Peter tells us that we should be hastening the coming of the day of God? Well, in the Greek, it's the word sputo, which, so actually we want to spell it out, S-P-E-U-D-O. Look familiar to any word? Speed, right? So to speed, to hurry, but it can also mean to urge on diligently and earnestly. And that's what I would suggest is in view here because we see this emphasis all throughout Paul's letter. I'm just going to point out a couple uh, references to you here. We see it even here in the context of chapter 3. 
In verse 14, Peter says, Therefore, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, For this reason, notice this language, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm dropped down to verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the connection. So we see this instruction to hasten, hasten the coming of the day of God. But then we see these other references, be diligent, make every effort. In the Greek, those words, be diligent, make every effort, two different words are being used. One, spudazzo, the other, spude. Guess what those are both derived from? The word that's translated here, hasten, spudo. So let's tie it all together. What are we seeing here? As we are waiting for the coming of the day of God with eager expectation, and patience, this patient expectation is not one of idleness. It's not one of slothfulness, but rather a time of action. Hastening the coming of the day of God, urging on diligently and earnestly, that is what's in view here. John Calvin put it this way. He said, we all labor under two very different evils, too much haste and slothfulness. We are seized with impatience for the day of Christ already expected. At the same time, we securely regard it as afar off. As then the apostle has before reproved an unreasonable ardor, so he now shakes off our sleepiness so that we may attentively expect Christ at all times, lest we should become idle and negligent, as it is usually the case. For whence is it that flesh indulges itself, except that there is no thought of the near coming of Christ? That is what I think is in view here when Peter is saying, hasten the coming of the day of God. It is not a time for slothfulness, for idleness, but rather a time for diligent action, diligent activity. And I think this is where our enemy will tempt us. I think while we're here on earth, our enemy is going to try to lull, he will, will try to lull you to sleep. Bring in a temptation for you to not look for the return of your Savior, to not expect his soon return. And what's the outcome of that? Think about your own life right now. I'm thinking about my life. Temptation to get comfortable, kind of cozy in this world that we're living in, to become complacent in our spiritual life, not tending to the means of grace the way that we should, to be focused on or distracted by earthly things. And to the extent that we start to do that, again, kind of lulling us to sleep, letting our guard down, we start thinking that this world around us is what we're here for, what we're living for. And we forget that this world around us will not last. It is going to be dissolved. That is where the temptation comes in and where the danger is of idleness and slothfulness. And that is why you see admonitions throughout Scripture when it talks about this coming of the day of the Lord that calls us to be ready, be watchful, be sober, devote yourselves to good works, make the best use of the time, put to death the deeds of the flesh, keep yourself unspotted from the world, perfect holiness in the fear of God. It is not a time for us to sit back, be lazy. Rather, it is a time to hasten the coming of the day of God, to be about his work diligently and earnestly.
And so, how do we hasten? How do we hasten the coming of the day of God? We hasten it by living lives of holiness and godliness. We hasten it by praying for his coming, as he told us to do. We hasten it by growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we hasten it by advancing and accomplishing his mission in the world, specifically the spreading of the gospel. One commentator put it this way. He said, if we truly believe that God will one day bring judgment on the wicked and usher in new heavens and a new earth, then our lives should be characterized by a wholehearted devotion that orients the entirety of our lives toward God and his purposes in the world. So waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Eager expectation, patient preparation. And what are we preparing for? We're preparing for eternity. We're preparing for life in the new heavens and the new earth. And we're preparing to meet our groom. So I mentioned that Angie and I went to that wedding a few weeks ago. And I want you to to think back to your wedding or think back to a wedding that you may have attended in your life. And when the big moment comes, the bride is revealed. I want you to imagine that that bride walked in, kind of hair a mess, that eye goop in her eyes, messed up hair, baggy pajamas. How have you been to weddings like that? Anybody? Okay. Well, me either. You might want to ask your husband later if he still would have married you. No, don't do that. Okay. But anyway, no. What does the bride do? She spends hours preparing to meet her groom, adorning herself, beautifying herself to meet her groom. And as the bride of Christ, we should be preparing in a similar way to meet our Savior. Now here, you guys are very well educated in the scriptures and doctrine. You might say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Brian. Aren't we just on that day going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ? What is this talk about beautifying ourselves for our groom? Oh, absolutely. Yes, we are going to stand. The only way we will stand and be able to dwell for an eternity in the new heavens and new earth is if we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But hear the language of Revelation when it talks about this wedding day. It says, The marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now when you compare that to Ezekiel, God tells his people, I clothed you, I wrapped you in fine linen. So what do we see here? We see that the righteous deeds, our good works, are granted to us. They are given to us by God. It's the same concept when you see in Philippians, work out your salvation, but then you see, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So, hastening the coming of the day of God, this time of preparation, is diligently seeking to live lives of holiness and godliness, to be found by our groom without spot or blameless, but knowing that it is God who gave it to us. It is by his spirit that he has enabled and empowered us to do those things that are pleasing to him, and so he gets all the glory. Waiting for, hastening the coming of the day of God, eager expectation, patient preparation. Three questions for you tonight. Number one, are you living in light of his coming? Every day of your life, are you living in light of his coming? Secondly, are you eagerly expecting his return? And are you setting your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ? And finally, are you patiently and diligently preparing to meet your groom? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Let's pray together.